Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Erica Berlin, the Executive Director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. I'm John Lyons, a filmmaker, teaching artist, and the Director of Programming for the Film Society. I'm Mike Berlin, Erica Berlin's husband. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, with us is Tian Tran. Welcome, Tian. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Thank Tian you. is very special because she is with us on our 100th episode, the 100th mm -hmm. episode of Film Grain. So, Tian, you are from Erie, Pennsylvania. Tell us about that. We're How here does in it Erie. feel? How does it feel <laughs> to be the 100th, the 100th woman? to join us uh, from Erie, PA. We are here in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's very special to us. So is it special to you? <laughs> it is very special to me. I am very honored to be a part of the 100th episode, and especially with folks from my hometown, Erie, PA. Mm -hmm. Honestly, have been waiting to talk to some folks from Erie because I haven't been back in a very long time. So when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. I would love this so much. So thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, let's let's talk about that moment that uh, that you left Erie because uh, so you. <laughs> No, no, no. Let's let's go back even further than that. So we were talking just before we got started that um, that you did not actually you weren't actually born here. So no. Yeah. No. So tell us I was, about that. you know, I was born. I'm a Pennsylvania kid. So I'm a Pennsylvania kid. So I'm very proud of Pennsylvania. Uh, but I was born outside of Philly. And then my parents, my dad got a new job in Erie when I was like nine. And so we moved there. Um, and I identify as from Erie because like that's all my formative years, like my grade school, you know, I'm a McDowell Trojan. Um, <laughs> woo -woo. Um, and I feel like wherever you are when you're in high school is like that's like hometown. That's like when you have like started to learn about yourself and your identity. And like so Erie to me is is hometown. When people ask me, like, where are you from? Or like, where'd you grow up? I always I always say Erie, Pennsylvania. So I have to ask, uh, on my report cards in grade school, my teachers would write, John is the class clown. So I'm curious, did you get such uh, well, notes and marks? Were you always, uh, you know, leaning into the comedy or not I for mean, a young age? Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of pissed I didn't get the McDowell superlative for funniest in my senior year. So upset about that glad to be here to bring that up <laughs> where'd you lose it to i don't i don't remember <laughs> you don't remember okay uh, let's call him out call him out <laughs> you remember Come i don't on. remember i do I, but i was i don't remember because i was like i probably blacked it out out of full rage i didn't do theater in erie i like i was much more of a i was a jock that's how i know erica's the younger sister because because i played soccer like my entire time in Erie, like through club and through high school as well. But a thing that I did do was that anytime I had presentations or group presentations, I turned all of them into sketches and I turned all, all of them into like little comedy things because I, you know, grew up in the time of Molly Shannon and uh, Anna Gasteyer and Maya Rudolph and all of those women. And I just like 
wanted to do that. And I thought that was so funny. And the only way I could was, you know, to do a funny presentation on sleep deprivation and, uh, <laughs> and like try to make a rap song to it. So that was my creative outlet when I was in Erie. So when did you know you had a career in comedy? I started focusing in, on it as something that I like really wanted to do in college, uh, like sophomore year of college. I was too scared to try out for the college comedy group my freshman year, but I finally got the courage to my sophomore year and got into it. And I'm still like, my best friends are from that group. After college, we all moved to Chicago, which for, for folks who don't know is kind of like a very great city for comedy. Um, Second City is there, which is where people like Tina Fey and like Stephen Colbert and a lot of comedians that are out doing stuff right now come up through. So we all move there together with the hopes of like trying to do that. Um, I didn't start that way. I like worked in advertising. I was a science copywriter for the first like six years of <laughs> it's very niche, very what is like science. <laughs> Wait a second. I was Wait, a hold on. science okay, copywriter. So I, was a, I was a life science copywriter for an ad agency that specifically is like B to like business to business, B2B advertising. So like very very industrial weird copywriting so like we would I always say that it was the step before pharmaceuticals so it was a lot of like advertising to researchers so that they could stock their labs with like different machinery um and and our one boss would always be like let's make this as sexy as possible and I'm like no we can't, can we not this is uh, this is just science and I don't want to make it as sexy as possible let's just like say what it does but after six years of doing that I think my partner she was very supportive and she was like if you really want to pursue comedy I had been doing it like after work mm -hmm. and like doing stand-up and taking classes and performing with friends and she was like if you really want to do this like make the jump like need to make what you want to do your plan a and not your plan b and i was like okay i will try and so i was very lucky to have like applied for uh, a diversity fellowship at second city and i got that and then from there nice. was just hired out from comedy so i've been doing comedy full-time now for the last like six years um oh, that's awesome which has been really fun and yeah i i i feel very lucky that i get to do it um for a living so having a partner to give you a push right that's like can be really important when you're stuck in like the nine to five and yeah did, did you feel like for a little bit there that i don't want to say like hopeless but did you feel like you were kind of losing the thread like that passion did you feel like that for a bit a little bit because I, I don't think as a kid I woke up and was like, I'm going to be a life science copywriter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> after a while, I really was not enjoying it and knew that I like this is what I wanted to do. And I'm so thankful that she was very like supportive and was very encouraging. And I, I was surrounded by a group of people, which I think is so important when you're going into the arts is just like you need to have people that like are supportive and believe in you so that you can eventually like put that investment in yourself and make the leap. So very thankful. So at what point did your parents get on board with that? Oh, you know, uh, my parents like they, my parents have like a bit of a, like a classic immigrant stereotype of like, they wanted all, I'm, I'm one of four daughters and they wanted all of us 
to like be doctors. And I think, I don't even think that's a classic. I think everyone's parents wants them to be like doctors and scientists. Um, But surprisingly, did you ever, did you guys ever watch the show Ghost Rider growing up? It was on PBS. It was about, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Ghost Rider is a it was a PBS kids show that was yes. took place in Brooklyn that was about a ghost that helped a group of kids solve like petty mystery crime like not not murder mysteries just like very like chill kid friendly crimes um whatever that means and they uh cool they cool only- crimes for kids cool crimes cool crimes for kids cool crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know like the beginning of hacking someone hacked the school newspaper um and they could only solve the mysteries through reading and writing this ghost could only communicate through reading and writing and my sister was one of the cast members so like we have a thread of performing in my family like before i moved to erie i was like a little kid reporter on the n- local news station um and did like little news reports on tv so like they are my parents are to blame for this um Aww. they like kind of gave us the little window into performing so when i when i eventually told them that this is what i wanted to do they were very very supportive they've like been to my shows and like been to my things they still it's interesting too because they actually unlike a lot of parents kind of understand the business because they had their kids in this like auditioning process so when I tell them that like you know I've auditioned for something and haven't heard back they're like it happens it happens to all of us <laughs> so they know so they've been very supportive which i'm again very grateful for if you haven't been back to erie then they must have moved yeah 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 yeah. so they moved they now are currently in cali um they're like outside of san diego mm-hmm. um which is nice because when i before the pandemic i was in la um and that's where i was based out of for the last two years um, and got to see them a lot. And so they like, you know, came up and saw a show. Um, and it was it was really great to have them so close. I mean, you were young, obviously, nine when you moved from Philly to Erie, if I'm getting that right. And so that so you come to Erie and obviously doesn't have the same sort of uh, cultural outreach or resources that maybe we're getting used to in Philadelphia. And did you just, just <laughs> that like, is a generous that read. <laughs> and that is, yeah. Did you take all that energy and just like, Hey, I'm just going to put all of it into the Erie admirals or something like that. Like, oh my what, God. I did what, play what, Erie. Admirals. I, well, who else were you going to play with? Yeah. I mean, so. I played, okay. So I played Erie admirals, but then switched over to Lake Erie soccer club, uh, yeah. LESC all yeah. the way Erie United. Yeah, there we go. All right. Still a big fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Did you play? Did you play both I played of admirals. those clubs? I play, I mean, I played admiral, admirals. I played at LESC. I played on the Strikers for a little bit. Uh, yeah, all okay. the way up to uh, oh to like college and stuff. Yeah. I get you. <laughs> That's awesome. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I know. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really still, did. So, and you played fiddle, and I played cello. So, did you do like the Erie Junior Phil yes. and all that kind of stuff yeah, too? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, but like, oh anyway, how did you big, know? That must, he did. That somebody must, did his research. I, yeah. yeah well, I, well, I, I, I was doing a little bit of a deep dive and stuff. So yeah. Oh but, my god. But that must have been tough. That must have been a tough move. I mean, it was a very tough. I think it's a very tough move for any like move moving to a new place in fifth grade. I think is like hard for any kid, 
And Erie at the time, Mill Creek, and I went to Grandview. I think I was like one of the only few Asian kids or one of few kids of color there at all, period. So really, really, really threw myself into like sports and like, I was also a huge tomboy. So like I played football at recess and like, that was, that was my thing. And like really, really, really threw myself into playing club soccer, which so thankful for sports. Cause like, it makes it really a much more softer landing, I suppose. But like the thing about moving to Erie is that I, it's a thing I'm kind of unpacking right now is, but, but my, my name is Tien. I go by Tien, but it's actually pronounced Thien. And like, I switched it to TN when I moved to Erie because I was such a new kid and everyone was mispronouncing it that I like, it was much easier for me to be like, it's like TN, it's like TN. And the kids called me like TNT and I was like, fine, fuck it, whatever, just go. (laughs) Like, be nice to me if that's how you're going to be like saying my name, it's fine. Um, But yeah, it was hard, but thankfully I had soccer like made all my good friends through soccer and football (laughs) and soccer got you through the pandemic a little bit i saw the the one interview with you (laughs) and your cleats oh my god i'm i am a full soccer freak uh does it do you guys follow the premier league and mike are you yeah okay arsenal oh manchester united i'm sorry um (laughs) but but had a I, my, one of my first big pandemic purchases was buying soccer cleats for myself. And I have been playing by myself out in the parks. I'm currently in central Illinois. So um, my partner's a professor at U of I. So I have been in Champaign, Illinois um, and have been playing by myself, but I was playing, I was shooting up against like a, a wall in the park and a group of kids came up to me and were like, do you want to, do you want to play soccer with us? Like, how old are you? And they were clearly in high school. And I was like, I'm 33. And he was like, Whoa, you're old. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Glad you thought I was in high school, but uh, no. And so, yeah, I've been playing, I've been playing a lot of soccer. It's been my been my saving grace in this pandemic during the pandemic coming from los angeles to now you're back in the midwest a little bit has your voice changed a little bit there ah you know the hardest part is like i don't have have any of you gone to see any stand-up shows via zoom or yeah seen see have you have it is a like very jarring and wild experience um so I've actually kind of switched more to focusing on writing longer form things. So in this pandemic, I, I was able to like finish my first pilot that I have been have been able to like give to thank you <laughs> um, that I've been able to give to my like representatives and and they're kind of like putting it out there right now because it was so hard. Like I did a couple shows at the beginning of the pandemic and my comedy is very physical. And so I would be in my bedroom like going 110% just like full sweating it up like bouncing off the walls to silence and I was like this is messing with my head I can't do this well, it sounds like hell it sounds awful, <laughs> no, it it sounds awful. It, it, it was awful it was awful it was absolutely awful just like clowning in my room by myself to silence um so the first couple times I did it and I took a I took a long break um 
but now have gotten back into trying doing stuff. And what I have found over the pandemic, the only way that I could like enjoy doing Zoom shows was trying to do it with my friends. And my friends and I, um, have you watched Bling Empire? Any of you Bling Empire fans here? I have not. It's a trash show that's like such a good guilty pleasure. Um, but my friends and I did a live reading of that over Zoom and that was really, really fun. And so I think what I've learned from my comedy in the pandemic is that like I need to be able to do more of this stuff with my friends. <laughs> like I miss collaborating with people and like having an audience and like comedy is such a conversation with whoever you're performing with and not having that is like it's very hard to do. So I've tried to like write longer pieces. I do little videos on Instagram, trying to do like little funny character things every now and then when it strikes me. Um, but yeah, just trying to find new little ways to, to be creative has been exciting and also scary. <laughs> How long have you been? Uh, I'm curious now you said writing. Um, I mean, obviously writing your material for stand-up, but how how long have you been working on um, original material, either for series or, you know, things like that? And is that something you pivoted to specifically in uh, during the pandemic, or were you kind of working towards that as a big goal? Definitely have been working towards it as a as a big goal, but I my comedy it like career started in sketch comedy, so like I have. Have have a long experience of like writing original material and performing it. That was the group that I got into at college. It was <laughs> there was a sketch group, very strongly sketch, and then there was a group that was just improv, and we had some like fake bullshit rivalry between ours. But like I, I'm very much not improv to me. I'm not the best improviser. It's kind of something that still scares me, even though I've like done it a lot of times, but I feel much more comfortable doing sketch and like writing my own stuff. So I have a, a more experience writing out my own original material. And it, if within the last year or two, I've been trying to write something longer than three minutes, um, which is challenging. And like one of the biggest notes that I always get from people that I share stuff with is like, they're like, this reads like a sketch. And I'm like, okay, I'm, that's what my background is in. I can't help it. Um, but it's been such a fun learning experience to like push myself to write longer things. And I'm, I'm going to keep trying to do that. I got, um, I had the opportunity to be staffed in my first show over the pandemic um, on a really fun Showtime show called Work in Progress. And it was my first proper writer's room, um, which is such a cool experience. Um, I got to work with our head writer was Lil Lily Wachowski, one of the, the Matrix sisters. And she is just the coolest person to work with. And I learned so much from her. So it was a very, I want to keep doing that. Like that is what I, like my big goal is that I would love to be able to write and act in my own like original half hour comedy series. I'm so jealous right now that you want to <laughs> siblings. I'm so jealous right now. She's, she is so, she was so cool. Like she is the most laid back person Having been someone who has like changed, like has just like changed the way people think about 
our society and culture, she is like, she could not be more chill. I'm almost like, you can be more, you can be more arrogant. <laughs> but she's like, not at all. She's so, so cool. Um, and I, I got to work with a bunch of Chicago people on that show as well. It's like a Chicago-based show. If you're listening out there, Work in Progress is a very funny show. Check it out. <laughs> I just, I hadn't heard of it. I just watched the trailer and I just was kind of blown away because the um, the whole Pat reference, the whole SNL oh thing, I was kind of, it, it actually had me going like, I can't tell. Is it a man? Is it a woman? It was a total Pat moment for me. So yeah. tell me, tell me about it, you know, from a, from a gender stereotype, I think truly just being honest, I think it would challenge me you know, as a woman, um, yeah. tell me about the show. I mean, it's a very, so the show centers around this woman named Abby McEnany. She's like a longtime Chicago improv star. Like everyone loves her. Everyone who's worked with her, she's incredible. Um, and she is a self-described like gender queer dyke. Uh, and like, she, what is she? No, no. She calls herself a, I think a hard dyke lesbian, but she is like, you know, presenting more mask than what I think people in Hollywood are more used to. And she is so talented. And what has been an inspiration working with her is that she was like, you know, people weren't casting me and stuff. And all I've ever wanted to do is be an actor and a performer. And so I wrote my own thing and it's incredible. And it's like based loosely on her life and her experience with like, it's very much based on like mental health and like her dating experience. Um, in the first episode, it happens right away. But like, <laughs> she's, I'm not spoiling that much because it really happens in the first three minutes. But right. she's in the she's in the middle of like talking to her therapist, and her therapist dies, dies. just in the middle of her session. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and it starts from there. And so the conceit of the show is that you know, someone at work has like passive aggressively body shamed her and has given her almonds to help with like, uh, you know, her diet. And Abby is like, I'm going, she's telling her therapist, she's like, I'm going to throw away an almond every day. And by the end of this bag of almonds, if my life hasn't improved, I'm going to kill myself. So that is the premise of the show. And then for the next 10 episodes, you kind of go on her journey of like, what does it mean for her to that, that her life is getting better? Like, what does that look like? And like, when is, what is like the line or decision that she will use to measure whether or not she's going to like end herself at the end of this bag of almonds so like it's a I know it's a dark premise but it is a deeply funny and very heartwarming show and just happens to be also like incredibly queer like in a way that I don't think a lot a lot of shows have portrayed like I think there's a very specific way that queer folks are on tv like I I even personally think that sometimes I don't present like gay enough for what Hollywood thinks because I have like long hair and I present more femme. Um, I love that this show is showing the full range of queerness in, in it's like in, in a not traumatic way, which I think is really important is that this is a person who is confident 
in her own sexuality. And that is not an issue about this show at all. It's not about her coming out. It's not about her having to like deal with people who aren't accepting of her. This is just her living her life. And it's so funny. And it's so it's just so funny. So I, I hope you all get a chance to check it out. It's called Work in progress. Work in progress. Yeah. And the trailer's great. And it does not give anything away that mm -hmm. she does see Julia Sweeney at a restaurant and she like passes out. <laughs> <laughs> it is really finally like because she yeah. finally wants to confront this like yeah. huge character that Pat would have would never make it onto SNL today right. or even like a couple years ago because the right. butt of the joke. It's the butt of a joke. Exactly. It's the butt of a joke. Yeah. Like it's not, Pat is not the person that has the agency in that sketch. It's right. like Pat is the butt of the joke. And so I think with Abby, she is trying to, in some many ways, like reclaim the power and not be the butt of the joke, but be right. the like protagonist in her own story. Mm -hmm. But I think you're absolutely right because it's, it's a challenge. And I guess the point of like me bringing that up is like I was very challenged to see a woman that that was that was so masculine mm -hmm. that I I was challenged by it and I'm so intrigued to watch the to watch the show I wish I had yeah, showtime and I I kind of <laughs> wanted to, but it's like I'm so close to like getting it because the new Dexter is gonna come out so it's like ooh now I have two now I have two reasons to get showtime again so I'm like hmm <laughs> it might have to happen Mike we might have to get showtime again get some showtime even if the yeah. show, you know save it for the two-week trial and just like watch every single show you want to watch for free cancel there you that. go there you go Mike <laughs> There we go. So, how do you how do you find that the, obviously with so many streaming platforms and uh, the networks and stuff, uh, and where we are really living in an era where uh, content is king because there's not enough hours or there's not enough there's not enough to footage and shows and move and films to put in front of the eyeballs. Uh, how is the approach going right now, uh, pitching uh, new ideas from new perspectives to the streaming uh, streaming giants? It is such a, I'm, I'm very new to it still. Um, so like my experience has been that even though there are so many places to pitch things and everyone is saying that they like want to see so many different stories and like diverse stories, I still have experienced some things, um, like my pilot specifically is very Vietnamese and like it's like loosely based off of my family. And I've had people say things like, wow, we've already have an Asian family show. So like, and they are completely different. It's like, it happens we've, so we've often. We've ticked that box. We've, yeah. Yeah. The industry has ticked that the, box. <laughs> the industry has that one show right. and it's already ticked and like, so that is very frustrating. Um, that is a thing that I am like currently trying to navigate and it happens all the time. Like I'm, I really am told that like, we have a family, an Asian family. They could be like Korean. Like I think I, there was a one show that was like, that they were going to have on the network that was like Korean American spa owners totally different than what my show would be about. Um, and so I, I hope that with the like more of the streamers that they start to see that like, you know, you can have multiple 
families of color or like multiple stories that like focus on underrepresented stories. They're all very, very different. Um, so that has been a little bit of a struggle, but I'm hoping that things are starting to change. Um, you know, when Crazy Rich Asians came out, people were literally like, okay, well, what's your rich Asian story? I'm like, I don't have one. So I don't have one to give you. I, I don't know what that right. means or what that looks like. Um, oh so, so, so I know. Oh, we suck. We suck. You know, what's, it's, we, what's really we fucking interesting. Suck, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's really interesting that I've learned is that like the industry in so many ways is, can be real, like the people in, positions of power are really not that can can sometimes really be not that creative like they see the thing that they see works and to them it's like okay rinse repeat and there's no there it's such a risk adverse industry that like trying to invest in something that's new and different is scary to them um even though it you know the whole point of this industry is to like try to be as creative as possible it's supposed to be I, not to yeah. not to pitch you or to uh go off but if um you ever feel like doing something independently you know mike mike and i am sure would love to help you shoot something in in okay, that would be cool. your, to tell you. <laughs> okay thank you for the pitch <laughs> that would be so great I was just out in Los Angeles not too long ago and to your point to what you were saying before and I guess it, you know it's been a, it had been a minute since I'd been out there I was working in New York but it's like going back out there you you're right it's just like you forget sometimes where all the magic and all the dreams are made and stuff like that and you're talking to people on that granular level granular level and it's like oh this is business this is just yes. stone cold cash it's like oh yep. right okay. <laughs> Fuck my dreams got it Good. yeah you're like it, it really it, it can be it's like soup you know i'm very early in it so it, it is kind of jarring because i when you first get into it you have this like starry-eyed bushy tail you're like i can you know people are gonna see it for what it's worth but at the end of the day they like want they want to make a ton of money and sometimes the safest thing to do is like remake a british show that's already been popular in another country so like it, it it's hard it's still really hard despite all of the like streaming avenues. I mean, you, you, I mean, you all are in it as well. Like it's hard, like, especially when you're still like new and up and coming, like there isn't, you know, I don't have a generations, like my parents aren't in Hollywood. So like, I don't have that sort of access to certain things. And like, I'm still a younger, newer comedian. So like, a lot of things get sold because they're like, you have a million people on TikTok. So like, let's, someone will watch the show that you've Influencers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I, I was going to say, I do think you have a leg up because you do have like your superhero ability is that you're funny. Because hey, there's, not, you. there's not a lot. Well, but it's serious though. There's not a lot of people who, like, you'll find very creative and talented people, but to do, what did they, what did Richard Harris used to say? He used to say dying is easy. Comedy is hard. And so it's like, I'm curious because, you know, not being in the comedy world is the barrier for entry. Would you say is, is comedy like stand up, you know, and sketch and whatnot? Is it, is it more diverse? Is it, I don't want to say easier, but is it more accepting, more inclusive? 
Or is it more of the same, would you say? I think what's so exciting about comedy in recent years is that you can really still do well and stay away from places that aren't that accepting or that inclusive. Like, I do stand-up in mostly, like, very queer-friendly shows. And, you know, that can mean a bunch of different things. Like, I've performed at, like, you know, Laugh Factory, um, on, on which is, like, a very which is like club comic-y um, and I think it is getting better and I, I think it's getting better because there are so many more diverse comedians and more like comedians of color and like queer comedians and queer comedians of color and we all kind of help each other which has been really great like the shows that I love doing it's because like our friends keep putting each other up and because of that it's like its own little community. So like you can kind of do and make and like do comedy and kind of get seen by people that the industry didn't used to go see because they didn't do, you know, more alt. I'm not an alt comedian, but I'm definitely not a, your standard like go to the club and like crank out several open mics and go club comic crazy. Like that's not what my style is. And it's, I think it's really cool that you don't necessarily have to do that anymore, that there are so many different places and more inclusive places that are letting people do comedy and that people are excited to go see. So long answer, yes, I think it's getting I think it's getting better, which is really exciting to me. Do you find there's any type of content that you create that's just universally funny for any type of audience, like any any genre or like if you throw out I'm, I'm making this up like any like a Trump joke or, you know, any anything like that. You know, it's universally funny for anybody, any audience. Well, a Trump joke is <laughs> not going to be. I mean, just okay, <laughs> so that's a bad Trump example. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a bad you've example. A, you've alienated <laughs> half of the country. Okay, that's a bad example. We don't need so that audience. It's okay. your content. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fine. I mean your, I mean your content. Like your jokes, your content. Have you have you found that there's something that you work on your material that you're like, oh, this really rings true. I and I'm I say that because some comedians, most comedians, find that they're like, oh, this is what I do that really connects with people. There's something that I have that connects with people. That's what I mean. My standup is very personal and very. The things that I like doing the most are like stories and jokes that are rooted in like my personal experience and growing up and I think not to be like a nerd about it but I think if you're telling jokes that are truthful in some way to yourself there is that'll ring true for other people in a different way don't necessarily write to have like a I want I want everyone to be able to laugh at all my jokes but I know that from a perspective of like you know I'm a queer Asian comic like I think people are may or may not relate to that and that's totally fine with me um mike like you were joking about like there are some audience members that i'm like if you're not laughing at this that actually is fine with me um if you <laughs> that's like totally cool if you're not laughing um so i try to write with what i have the most fun doing because i think that is universally fun to watch 
if there is a comedian that I don't necessarily like agree with politically or that is just performing their ass off and having fun nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, I'm going to enjoy them because they're just like being true to themselves, having fun. Now that's not to say that like some problematic people I enjoy watching. I, I just, I think that's just lazy writing. But um, if people are, you know, trying to have fun on stage, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. I like the type of comedy that I think Chelsea Peretti, who is one of my favorite um, stand-ups and actor actresses, she said that she really wants to write comedy that doesn't hurt people. That is something that I think is really very inspirational because I think it is very easy to make jokes at other people's expense. It's what people have been doing forever. And that is a type of comedy. You can do it. I don't care. But for me, if there is a way that I can do comedy that like is more of a punching at the status quo, to me, that feels universal. That's okay. I was going to ask you something about political correctness, but I feel like you've kind of touched on that a little bit. I mean, not talking about people that have like, um, yeah, we don't need to mention anyone, but that has like assaulted people. Right. But yeah. I, and I assume the answer is no. But do you feel that there's a barrier at all? Because there is like a culture shift, right? Like it does feel mm -hmm. like we're going through for the better. Like we're going to hopefully come out on the other side with some improvement of, <laughs> I hope of so the species. <laughs> um, but do you ever like, and not to say you're worried about being canceled or something, because I don't necessarily feel that. You, I know I'm just dancing around a question here. I apologize. No. Um, in comedy, right, there is a, like there's a reevaluation of um, jokes and performances from like, you know, decades ago. Right. Does that change at all as, you know, someone that writes their own material? Like, do you is it even in the back of your head of like, uh, maybe I shouldn't do this because it might not stand up in like 20 years or something. It might be reevaluated. Like, is that part of your thought process or is it a, is it a problem? Right. Do you I guess? second guess yourself? Do you have a filter? I don't write thinking about necessarily that something will be outdated, but I try to at the very least, like write with the idea that it can evolve and change and not, to try to be stuck in the jokes that I like feel near and dear to and try to be open to writing them to be more thoughtful as time passes and as we learn more and as we unlearn more. Like I think the thing about looking back on standups that looking back now, they weren't politically correct. I mean, I that's fine. I just wish that people were more open to being like, yeah, that was something that worked now. And then now the new stuff that I'm putting out is different. Like, I, I would love to see some growth. Like, I love that. I feel like someone who's been doing a very good job of that is like Sarah Silverman, I think over the last several years, has really worked to grow as a comedian and as an artist and to grow with the times and grow with what she feels is like her comedy and her point of view. So I'm just hoping that like with comedy, I think a lot of people are say things like it's a minefield now. You can't say anything. You can. You can still say whatever the hell you want. But there is more chances now that people have an opinion on it. And if you can't handle growing and changing or addressing those things or you choose, you can choose not to, 
but like it is a conversation like comedy is a conversation and i've always like i see that more now ever since being in my like zoom hole to complete silence that like it is such a conversation with people so like if you're only up there doing a monologue i don't know what to tell you like that's your own journey but for me i would hope that like i keep growing and learning and that is reflected in my stand-up have you had an experience where you feel like you've had to actually uh put down a killer punchline because you're like uh sort of it's bridging the gap of going too far from where you want to go not not yet uh not yet but i think i could retire some pretty soon I mean, it feels um, like, because yours is so personal, it feels like that's the way to, you know, especially avoid stuff like that, right? If it's about yourself, your experience, you know, what what are people going to say, right? No, I don't yeah. think that's how your life was, or I don't think that's I mean, right. you know what's so wild is that people will say, like, I, I, I have a joke in my stand-up that um, I was a substitute teacher mispronounced my name as Hank Tina, and I've had, because I'm sick in the head have read comment like read almost all the comments the first oh, time no. oh. I had to start now I've learned <laughs> to not do that but I did and someone was like she made that story up <laughs> she's lying they didn't call her Hank Tina they probably called her Hang 10 and I was like well what the hell am I even telling this story for <laughs> if people aren't gonna believe me um so to circle back to your question, Erica, you know, some people are just not going to like my stuff. <laughs> and some people are just going to think I'm lying about a personal story. Um, so, yeah, just trying. I try to stay in a personal mm -hmm. lane just because of those, those are also like the most important to me to share. And I think your audience, too, is like, oh, thank God she said that because I can relate to it. You know, I think that. A comedian often can be the person that someone can exhale around like, oh, thank God. You know, you can't hear, first of all, you can't definitely hear a politician, you know, someone who's saying something with all the seriousness in the world talking about a current event Well, you can't mm -hmm. hear them say it. You know, a lot of time you can't hear a friend say it because you're maybe judging each other about you know someone's beliefs but you can listen to a comedian talk about a heavy issue you know john brought up cancel culture you know things like that but a comedian can say something and everyone can exhale and go oh thank god somebody's talking about it and maybe i can relate and have a conversation and just feel like it's okay you know so i think that you have the space to maybe take that filter off for a little bit and talk about something, maybe you can, um, you know, keep the conversation going and make a safe space for people. Mm -hmm. Well, don't you think that's one of the hard things though that's happening right now, Erica, which is like, I think comedians are getting up there, they're putting themselves out there and I can't think of anything, a lot, an art form where you're more exposed, but like people are now having snap judgments about the jokes that you're making. And uh, it's just like, it, there's, there's an interesting thing that sort of seems like it's happening uniquely in the comedy realm. And uh, I don't know if it's actually good for the art form in that respect, where it's just like, we're, I not, agree. we're not letting the, the comedians and the artists perform right. and do their routine. We're not really defining comedy or jokes the right way. 
you know, it's comedy, Yeah. it's joke, you know, like, I don't know, maybe we're just taking it too seriously when really it's supposed to be a reflection of what's the, I don't know, Mike or John or, or maybe Tian, you can do that, but it's, you know, comedy is actually telling the truth very, right? Yeah. It's, it's the, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. To, no, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was hoping you could fill in the blank for me. Something about comedy, you know, being very, very on the pulse of society, telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the comedians that I like the most and that I find to be the most like uh, inspiring and exciting are the ones who are talking about the hard things. Um, and like it, it's it's someone like, a you know, like a, a Bo and Yang on SNL or like um, a Parna Nancherla or like, you know, these, these comedians that are being truthful to themselves. I do think there is like a, it's such a hard thing that there are, there are snap judgments that are happening. Um, that's why I personally am not on Twitter because I think it's such a, like, I bless people who can do it, but I personally cannot do it because it feels so, toxic in that things are taken out of context and everyone is just screaming at each other it's like a circular firing squad like every it day really <laughs> oh my god it really is it really really is and i think what i miss in this pandemic is again a live audience like you can be in this room and make a joke and like you said erica like touching on something that makes everyone laugh with recognition or like breathe a sigh of relief because you've built up the tension of talking about something difficult and then cutting that tension with like some silliness or some absurdity is just like so fun and is something so universal that you can all sit and experience this together. I hope that like, like that we give room for comedians to try stuff and fail because that is the whole art form like that is the whole thing is that you really are putting yourself out there and failing most of the time <laughs> um like badly 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 um and so when you do get something that makes a crowd laugh like i hope that it's something that is like shining a light on our society in a in a truthful and thoughtful way yeah like to to mike's point i feel like comedians like you're also like naked out there on stage and on screen um i mean it's ner just nerve-wracking to me just to think about like i don't know the courage that all of you have just to go out there i feel like yeah putting you in a box like if society's putting comedians you know in a box and putting limitations on you like that's that's the whole thing about comedy is being so free and you know to to talk about things that's uncomfortable for the rest of us that maybe the rest of us can't talk about right that's your role it's so important to you know kind of break down society into the things that we're all thinking you know yeah. but we can't say right warts and all yeah Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, even it's your personal experience and that's what touches you the most and you feel most comfortable talking about, but it's the conversation and the, the relating to your experience that, that can be the most powerful for someone else, you know, because I'm sure, you know, like being a queer woman and you're Instagram feed, which I'm like following and looking at, you know, I'm seeing everything you put out there. Like, I'm sure that a lot of the, you know, 18,000 
people that follow you, I'm sure a lot of them are young queer women that are looking at that and and feeling very connected to you, whether they're laughing or not, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of them are, but they're feeling very connected and very seen. And um, so, you know, it's a, it's, it is that conversation and they're in a conversation with you. And I'm sure there's a lot of guys that are also feeling very connected too. So, you know, whether it's funny or not, there is a lot of there is a lot of connection. So what's coming up next? You know, you have all these people following you. What are your projects? You wrote a pilot. You're now like creeping into this industry. Mm -hmm. Are people reading your pilot? Are you talking to streaming services? Because that's, it seems like what, where everyone's going. Yeah. I think it's in that stage right now that like it's being shared with streaming services. Um, so that's out there. I'm, I'm hoping to, like my big thing is I, I do love writing, but I, my main thing is performing. Like that's what I want to do the most. Um, so there is the potential for like a project that I'm waiting to hear back on. So I'm like hoping I get it. Um, and then otherwise just trying to write and perform as much as possible. Now that like, I think some folks we can like safely be in places and I'm seeing stand up is coming back again. Um, I would love to try to write like a 30 minute set or like an hour long set, which is something that I haven't done yet. I have done like a, a 45 minute set at a college before everything shut down. And that was like chaos and amazing and scary. But I, after doing that, I was like, oh, okay, I need to like sit and write some more stuff um, so that That's I can awesome. properly fill some time. It was very fun. It was also very scary. Um, but yeah, that I would love to like write a longer special, get the chance to do that in some way, shape or form. And yeah, just like keep making stuff that I hope people enjoy. <laughs> where are like the hot hubs for comedy now? Like, where would you like to go? Where would you like to be? Like, where are some, where are some clubs that like we all need to check out when we're out and about? <laughs> you know, wild, not wildly at all, but one of the best clubs that I got to perform at and that other folks talk about a lot is comedy, uh, uh, comedy on state in Madison, Wisconsin. It has like an amazing, amazing comedy club. Um, and a lot of my friends who are a bit like further along in their stand-up career consistently name it as one of the best places to go try stuff. The crowd is great. The venue and the people that work there are amazing. I also have a bias. I lived in Chicago for 10 years. I think Chicago comedy is so, so good. Um, I think there's a level of like Chicago has that like Midwest vibe of like not being New York or LA and that people are trying stuff because I think sometimes in New York or LA, there's this sense that like someone could be watching in the crowd that is like a producer or a ta like a casting agent or something. But in Chicago, people aren't really thinking about that and they're doing some of the funniest and like most amazing comedy that I've seen. Um, and some of my favorite comedians are from Chicago. So go check out Chicago comedy. It's really, really, and I, and you know, I'm biased cause second city is great too, but like the alt shows that are not on your main uh, comedy venues are amazing. He's, he's got a pretty good theory about Chicago because he says live music, the comedy and the theater is actually the best in comedy because he thinks that Chicago, Chicagoans uh, live in the moment. And I think there okay, might be I something to that. that. 
Yeah, I do think that. Like, there is like the pace of Chicago is a is different than New York and LA in a way that like people are when they're when they they are there to like see the like they're not there to talk over you or like they are there to see the performance and are very like engaged and into the live theater and the live comedy. I think I agree with your friend. He's a smart guy. I'm not that smart, <laughs> but he's a smart guy. All right, Dan, where are you in 10 years? Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, you know, the cool thing about the pandemic that I hope continues on is that it, sh for a lot of jobs, but I think for the industry as well, is that it showed that LA, you don't have to be in LA and New York to do this job um, and that it's growing into other cities. So I hope that in 10 years that I don't have to be in LA, sorry, um, and that I would get to live somewhere else. And, you know, it would be a dream to help other people make the shows and the movies that they want. So I would love to like have, I mean, this is like big dreams, but I would love to have like a production company of my own and helping like other folks get to have like a supportive creative environment to, to try to make their stuff. So that would be a, a big dream of mine. You're speaking our language. We're a film podcast. So I feel like we got a, a we at least have to, you have a go-to comedy film that you watch. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, wow. Okay. Good question. I have several. Um, I think uh, best in show is one of my favorite. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, I when I'm feeling sad, sometimes I'll pull up that clip of Catherine O'Hara tripping and like hurting her ankle because I think it's like the funniest like physical comedy bit. She's incredible, but like her just like walking with a limp and throwing her body on the ground. Um, I I love Best in Show. I think it's so funny. Um, and the other comedy movie that I really really love is is Bridesmaids. It was like such a fun, great like. It's a it's such a funny movie. And I'll throw Spy in there too because I also love Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> what are yours? I grew up on Monty Python, so um, Okay. Amazing. <laughs> Life of Brian, Holy Grail. Those I was are... gonna say Young Frank uh Young Frankenstein, uh Blues Brothers. I love the Blues Brothers. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I'm trying to think. We were just that. talking about this the other day that um Tropic Thunder is like one of my absolute favorite comedy yeah. movies. I just, there's no way I can watch that movie without like howling with laughter every time. <laughs> I know all the jokes and it is still hilarious to me every single time. I don't it's, know why. Love it's it. funny. I just watched a, like an interview with Justin Thoreau and he said, yeah, like to kind of what we were talking about before, like we couldn't make that movie now. Like we, you know, oh, because yeah. he does it's blackface. It's very problematic. <laughs> it yeah, and he's in, yeah, he's out in the middle of like Thailand, and yeah, it's he's surrounded by you know, yeah. No, I know, but it's hilarious <laughs> to me. It's hilarious. It's still funny. Also, it's, it's still funny. It's still hilarious. I don't because dark. Actually, Robert, it's so dark. It's really... it's so dark, but it's so funny. It's just it's incredible. <laughs> also, another movie that you can't make anymore. Um, but I always laugh is the jerk, you know, old, old. I never, I've never seen that. And I know, I know it's a movie that like 
if you're thinking about comedy should be added to the the comedy watching canon so yeah i'll have to check that out i never watched the jerk it's old steve martin you know it's kind of like dummy steve martin back when <laughs> you know when he was just like yeah like a wet noodle moving around it's and, also problematic oh, so, it's also everything <laughs> yeah. is problematic i mean it's from the late 70s it, the, it's, Mu the muppets are now problematic yeah i mean everything is problematic everything i was talking to my mom the other day she said something problematic and if you asked her it's like mom you know she would never say that she has any problems and i was like mom do you realize what you said is problematic come on and she's like oh okay you know it's just it's generational it's it's like you move five years down the road and things we're saying now will be problematic, you know, things that we um, like yeah. today. This episode will be banned. <laughs> we'll have to pull it down. We will be pulling it down. Yes, totally. Well, you know, Tian, this has been an amazing conversation. And I just, I'm so grateful that you were willing to talk to us. And you realize now that we're going to be, you know, calling you and saying, Tian, will you come to Erie and do a, you know, a comedy set for us? For Let me go to Junior's year? Last Laugh. Come on. Is it it's still? It's Keller's up? now. It's Keller's now. Oh, Still, okay, still, like... still comedy club though. I want to so, write okay. a movie with Tian. I want. Let's make a movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, let's write a movie in Erie. Thank you so much, Tian. It was wonderful having you here. Thank you again. Thanks um, for having me. You're welcome. And we'll talk to you again soon. So everyone, thanks for listening. This was Film Grain. One hundred. Woo. That's right. One hundred. Yay. C note. <laughs>